listening to sermon audio from First Baptist Church of Van Holstein. For more information about First Baptist Church and our services, please visit www.fbcva.com. All right, good morning, church. Uh, it's an honor to be here. I think I say that every time, and it truly is. Uh, but especially today, I don't know if I've ever preached a uh, Father's Day message. And uh, there's, there's nothing in this world I like more than being called dad. And so it's a great honor to stand today. I hope to encourage you fathers and grandfathers in the room today. I think Jace, Jace brought this uh, kind of note to me one time or to our staff. He said, you know, it's funny how like on Mother's Day, we come and we just, we just we talk Proverbs 31 and we build up moms and great moms and then we get dads in here and we go, you're just lazy slums, you know, slobs that just beat on you. And so I hope I don't beat on you today, okay? That's not my intention. Uh, some of you, some people, thought that was going to happen today, but uh, you didn't, so I'm glad you're here today. But mainly, at the, uh, I hope that you stick with me and hear the gospel message. Uh, I hope I encourage dads, and I hope I speak to your heart about the gospel this morning, and so uh, I'm glad you're here today. And so uh, a couple years ago, I think around age 45, I started a, a little uh, Google sheet of 45 days that impacted my life, that made me who I am. I know I'm going to knock this over if I don't move it now, okay? So 45 days uh, uh, that make Griff, Griff. And by the way, I'm Griff. Uh, I'm associate pastor here, and so it's, uh, you might not know who I am. So, uh, uh, but, so um, anyway, so 45 days, 45 moments that made me who I am. And so I want to share four of those days Okay, some of those days are some painful things, and I'm going to share a couple of those days to you too today, okay? And I try to add to it each year, and, and one, I want to fill it in and, you know, be one of those things I, I share with my kids of, uh, that they, uh, of, a, of a journal of who I am. I'm not going to write a book because I don't write books, so, but uh, a, good, a good article would be good. So, but, you know, four of those days that's got to be in there uh, are the birth of my girls. I'm a dad of four daughters. And, uh, and so uh, I think we, and I've told you this before, I've told some people, uh, I don't remember dates. I don't remember a lot of things. I'm not a memorizer, okay? So if you saw me at the day we're filling out forms for camp, I'm looking on my phone. I'm not looking up my insurance card. I'm doing that too. But I'm also looking up the dates of my girls' birthdays, okay? I cannot remember dates. They know that. They love me despite that. So don't, don't, don't look down on me, but I always tell them, I said, I don't remember the actual date. I get them mixed up because there's August and September and 27 and 29 and all this and 16 and 19 and it, which one's which. And, and so, but I will tell you this, I was there. Okay. I was there. And I don't know uh, the span that we had our kids, uh, the 10 years, uh, we went from the, our first one, we were in a sterile environment and basically an operating room, and I was in full paper scrubs and hair bonnet net, and, and it was just total, you know, into the, uh, when Caitlin was born, it was kind of like, here's your uh, hotel room, and uh, who wants to come? Come on in. Hey, you want to watch this? Come on right on here. Watch this show. And so a lot changed in those years in giving birth, and so... Um, but I was not in the lobby, and I did not have any cigars. So, you know, that was way before my time. So I don't know what era you, you were in on that. But I remember when Reagan was being born, first child, 
and uh, made a little mistake, a uh, young father mistake. And, and so, uh, so Reagan is born, and this is my response. Oh, my goodness. Her head is so huge. I mean, it's huge. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Wow. Oh, my goodness. What I did not realize truly at that moment is Chrissy could not see Reagan's head. Okay? And so she thought we had a major deformity. Uh, on, so, uh, so Reagan did have a big head. The charts proved it later on. She was off the chart. And uh, she was low body weight. She was like 102 on head size. Okay? So, uh, but, and then, so then Kerrigan's born, right? So a second child, a couple years later, Kerrigan's born. And Kerrigan came out screaming. Got to get an amen from Emma. Kerrigan came out screaming, okay? She was making her presence known from day one. And so the nurses, and she's screaming, screaming, bloody murder. They hand her to me, and I start talking, okay? And my voice, this voice you're hearing over the loudspeaker, brought peace and calm, and she stopped crying. And so then a couple years later, we have Jaden. And you know what happens sometimes? We kind of like, oh, this is easy. Oh, no big deal. Having kids, you know. That's, this is Father's Day, right? <laughs> right? That's, that's Father's. Like, ah, we've done this twice. No big deal. And so we go in, and, and as, as Jaden's being born, you start hearing the machine cadence and beep, take a different beep to it. And you start seeing the nurses and the doctors looking back and forth at each other a little differently. And then you start see them move around quicker, and then you kind of say, hey, guys, it's kind of getting to a serious situation we have here. We got to get this baby out. What we found out later was her umbilical cord was wrapped around her neck. I don't know how many years earlier, maybe in, in life and technology, she would not have been born alive. So I remember holding Jaden, being so thankful, being so thankful. Then a couple years later, I remember standing at Wilson and Jones watching a helicopter take off. And my baby girl being in that helicopter, being transferred to a, a NIC unit that where she was born didn't have. And, and I, I always joke around this, and this is true. I'm not a, very, I'm not a, a good decision maker. We do decisions together, uh, Christy and I. But she just had a baby, and apparently that's a big deal. And, uh, and so uh, our baby was sick. Our baby was sick. She started breathing in the womb, and, and uh, she had uh, bacteria in her lungs. And uh, the doctor said, hey, if her numbers keep going this way, we'll transport her. Her numbers went that way and more. And the doctor said, no, nah, I think we're still good here. And through the blessing of God, we, we had a friend that coached basketball with us that was a NIC unit nurse, and she said, read me those numbers. Tell me this machine. Read me those numbers. And so I had to do something alone that I've never really had to do is which, and stand up to somebody and say, we want our baby moved, and she's going here. And so I remember watching, thinking, did I just make a big mistake? Or, and, uh, and a week in the NIC unit, which I know a lot of people spend months in that place. And the lucky ones get to carry a baby out. So my stories, those four stories, are all happy endings, okay? And so uh, 
So I share those with great joy with you here today. And I will tell you, there's nothing better in this world than being called dad. And something I don't take lightly, and I don't, stand, I don't take standing in front of you lightly today either, but in my life, there's been more people call me dad than just those four. And I don't take that lightly either. We've welcomed students from across the globe into our home of, through exchange programs. And those girls, through their broken English and their native accents, call me dad. And still send me messages of saying, hey, daddy. And then recently, as we've opened our home up to the vulnerable and being foster parents and having children enter your home and, and they say, what do we call you? And I said, well, my name's Griff, and she's Christy. Okay, I'll call you dad, and I'll call her mom. You do not take that lightly. And so that our role, our role as dads and moms and as parents, uh, and especially us as dads, is realize today it has a great connection to God. Okay? Our, we as fathers impact how our kids probably naturally and instinctively connect and view God. And so if you had an ultra-strict disciplinarian uh, dad, you probably view God as a guy who's looking for you to make mistakes, looking for to strike lightning. You're always looking to the clouds to see if there's a weather storm out there before you make a decision. So your, your base is, is, is that God is, is like your dad. He's out to kind of little grace and little mercy, and you better not get out of line. Okay? Some of you, your dad was absent. And so when, you, when somebody talks about God, you're just like, he doesn't care about my life. He doesn't care about what I'm going through because we associate that to God. Some of you have maybe, have maybe performance-driven dads. And so you spend your life working for God to earn approval. And we love you because you're some of our best workers, right? And so... Uh, how our dad treats us impacts how we look at God. It's something we, we know. And so, but at the same time, Scripture is here to counteract that and tell us how God looks at us and how God treats us and how God looks upon us. And so we take that. We take the Scripture that Jace read at the beginning of the service, and it talks about our steadfast love. And, uh, and that's got to combat all your natural tendencies of whatever your dad, how he treated you. Okay? And the story I'm going to read today is one of the most beautiful stories in Scripture that gives us one of the best pictures of how God loves us. Okay? And so that has got to combat uh, what we have naturally. So turn with me in Luke chapter 15. And like I said, this is a well-known story. Uh, and and I, would, I would say uh, one of my favorite, if not favorite. Okay? But at the same time, we miss... We miss a lot in this story, too, so I pray you stay with me here today. So in Luke chapter 15, it starts with this. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were drawing near to him, and that being Jesus, and the Pharisees and scribes grumbled. So we have two groups of people that Jesus is going to be telling this story to. And so those being uh, the tax collectors and sinners. And uh, if you've been in church long enough, you know what tax, the tax collectors in the Roman Empire and the Jewish, they were traitors. They weren't just tax collectors, they were traitors. And so, uh, and they were hated. And then basically you had the sinners. Now the sinners were called sinners because they didn't 
live up to the expectations of the other group, which is scribes and Pharisees, who are the religious people, the religious leaders, and the religious followers. And so if you weren't in their group, you were a sinner. If you didn't live to the strict letter of the code of the law that they lived, you were over here. You were out of that group. You were a sinner. And tax collectors on the left and we're on the right. And our, my rules, my following the rules, my following these, not just the laws that God laid out, but the laws we made up about the laws God made up. You know, They're the guys who made the, the committee on committees back in the day, right, uh, from the Baptist churches. Okay, so they, uh, these are those people where they follow the rules and they make rules up to follow rules and they make more rules up to follow those rules. And so, and then everybody who doesn't do that, Sinners and tax collectors. So that's the two people Jesus is talking to, and he gives three stories, and this is the last story. And see, a lot of times we, we have warm, fuzzy feelings about this story. Those listeners did not. Okay? So let's read here. It says in verse 11, And there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me my share of my property, of property that is coming to me. Right? Let me translate that. Hey, Dad, you're going to die someday, and I'm going to get your stuff. But I can't wait for that. So I really kind of wish you were dead, because I really want your stuff more than you. And so can you go ahead and just give me your stuff so I don't have to wait for you to die? And let me tell you something. If you've ever been told in your life I can take you in this, I brought you into this world and I can take you out. Some head nods on that one. Anybody ever heard that one? This is the ultimate time to say that to a kid. Okay? But yet, the picture is not that. It simply moves on and says, and he divided the property between them. I wish you were dead. He spat in his face. He did not care about the father. He only cared about what the father could give him. It's a shocking statement to the listeners of that day. And let me tell you something. If you've ever had a kid tell you or with their actions and their heart and their mouth, it's still shocking today. I wish you were dead. It's hurtful. It's painful. But the father gives them what he would get one day when he would die, when he died. But, it, and it's, but it's interesting. He says, and they divided the property between them. Talk about that in a minute. Not many days later, the youngest son gathered all that he took and all he had and took it into a journey into far country, and he squandered his property in reckless living. Real quick, right? We all know what happens. We all know what that description is. You're, you've got your picture of, of reckless living. I have my picture, and we know what that looks like. Uh, and it happens quick. It happens quicker than we ever think about, right? And he, when he spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country, and he began to be in need. So he went out and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to the field to feed pigs. Pretty shocking statement to the Jewish listeners that day. One of the reasons pigs are unclean, one of the reasons, is what they eat. If you've ever raised hogs, and I've raised hogs, okay, I did, believe it or not, okay, we had Durox. How about that? Okay, y'all are shocked. I'm from Oklahoma, so it's not that shocking, but uh, so uh, it's not pretty. 
It's not pretty what you can feed a pig. And if he's so low in life, he's looking at those, what the pig is eating and says, oh, I'm so hungry I could eat that. And so that's where he, where, he, where he got to in life. And that's as low, as low, as low can get, right? Many of us might have verse 17 underlined. We, we, we have been there in our life. It says this, but when he came to himself, when he came to himself, many of us, several of us in this room, you might be included, you've been low to low to low. You've You've been where you never thought you'd be watching pigs eat and wishing you'd eat some of that, whatever that is to you. And you came to yourself, and you made some life changes and decisions. And, and he, here he is. He says, he's in there, and he's thinking, how many of my father's hand, hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. Isn't that right? That's how we sin. We sin against God and we sin against people. And so part of a real reconciliation, part of real repentance is, is going to people and saying, I sinned against you, not just God. And, and so we see a true repentance here. He sees that, that he sinned against uh, the maker of the creation, his, uh, his God, but he's also sinned against his father, and he needs to go before him. And, but he has a plan, to, to, and he says that um, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Wow. Low as low can get. Just treat me as one of your hired servants, and I'd still be better off than I am right now. He wasn't expecting a warm reception. He wasn't expecting a party. And he had little expectations of being treated better than a servant. Because, uh, it, but yet he still got up and he arose and he came to his father. But one of the most beautiful sentences in all of scripture, right? But while he was still afar off. While he was still afar off. That's what scripture says. His father saw him and felt compassion and ran to him and embraced his son and kissed him. Middle Eastern patriarchs, uh, head of the family, did not run. Women ran. Children ran. Men did not. One of the reasons, simple reasons, he had to pull up that robe. It'd be like going in shorts. He had to make shorts out of a dress real quick. And, and he'd have to pull that out. It's very undignified. And so this picture of this patriarch running to his son is not the picture that the Pharisees and the, and, and the scribes were expecting to hear in this story. And even with the overreaction of the father, even when the unanticipated, the son did not anticipate this, even with the, the running and the kissing and the hugging and the joyful reunion, the son is still going to offer himself as a servant. It's repentance. It's repentance. Even then, he, so he starts the speech don't you know that long journey home, how many times you practice that speech? He got it down pat, right, in scriptures, a couple sentences. But he, how long, he, that, that first step's the hardest, but it's a long journey. He went to a far country. And that whole way home, wondering what dad's going to do, wondering what dad's going to do. Here's what I'm going to say. I hope this works. I hope this works. And the son, and, 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 and so in the middle of the speech, the father stops him. Because he says this, Father, I've sinned against heaven, and before you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And isn't it great how Jesus gave us the whole speech? Because the, the Father stops the speech in the middle. We know where the speech was going because Jesus gave us the whole speech. 
And, bef- and he says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And that's where, that's where the, this father stops it right there. In the middle of the speech, the father stops him from finishing his plan. He had no I told you so's. And, and it was like, he said, no, I'm going to welcome you as if you're a hero here today. And so, he, but the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf. Okay. There was one. Bring the fattened calf. I firmly believe that that dad knew what that cow was being fattened up for. Now, those servants might not have known what that cow was planned for, but that dad did. They knew which one. Go bring it and let us eat and celebrate like a true Texan. For this, my son was dead and is alive again, and he was lost, and he is found. And they began to celebrate. And so that's the story we love, right? That's the one we grab onto. We, we love this redemption story. We love how God runs to meet them. We love, we love this story. But that's not the reason Jesus told this whole story. Okay? It is a beautiful picture. And it is one that we can grab onto because that's how God loves us, thankfully. But there were two sons, the story starts out. And it says, now his older son was in the field and he came near to draw the house and he heard music and dancing. See, we, they didn't eat meat like as much as we do. I'm going home. We're not going to take all those kids I just mentioned to a restaurant. Uh, we got steaks. We're grilling steaks at home, right? Cooking my own meal. Uh, but it's all good. So we're, uh, but that party, they didn't eat meat like we do. They would say, and so, it, and that, especially that fattened calf, uh, that this party, the whole community was brought in. People heard about the party, and so it, it was a loud, it could be heard from afar off, but the son hears it, and he called one of the servants, and he asked these, what these things meant, and he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. It's a sad section of scripture, right? Next. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out. And in ESV, it says, entreated him. Maybe in your NIV, it says, begged him. Please come in. Your brother, please come in. But he was angry. He didn't enter the house, and yet again, a father had to go meet his son outside on the path. Different path, different place, different location, but he still had to go to his son. And he didn't go in because he was angry. I'm going to say this in the nicest way I can. There's a lot of Christians who are just angry. Just angry. And if our first reaction to to some things happening in our church, some things happening in our world, some things happening, good things, is uh, is anger, and you say, well, I don't know if they're that angry. It's like, well, you haven't been on church staff, and you don't have an email account, Okay. So a lot of people are angry. It's like Christians are angry. I had a school administrator once tell me, he said, Griff, you know how hard it is to go to church in the town you work in school to get those emails, to get those communication, and then try to worship with people? And I said, well, you ought to try to be a pastor to them. <laughs> it's true. I love you. Some of us are just angry. 
were angry. And some of the reasons that we, some people, we won't come out and say why we're angry. We're angry because we're older brothers. There, I've only had one person come out and tell me why they're angry. Say, hey, you know what? I, uh, if, I don't, if, I don't, I don't, if I can't take, I'm not going to give. <laughs> Just straight up told me that. So there's people, so we have this contractual thought in our life that we think that if I serve God, if I do good, if I work in a church, if I, if I do this, then God's going to bless me. We believe that. We don't come out and say that so often. And so, uh, but we think if we serve God, that God's going to give back. And so there's a, and when God doesn't do that, we get angry. Man, we should be the happiest people in the world. The verse that Jace read at the beginning said, Our sins have been cast as far as the east and the west. Those who have been forgiven, forgive much. That's who we're supposed to be. But we, we get angry because we're older brothers and we're jealous and we're mad at things that we should be celebrating. We should be going into a party and we're standing outside throwing a little hissy fit because we're older brothers. If you get angry a lot, need to check. I need to ask myself. I've been an older brother a lot in my life. Okay? I, I'm, I'm not just preaching to the, anybody who's ever sent me an email. Trust me, I've deserved the emails I've gotten. Okay? Some of the, our, the other staff members, I'm not, those, uh, they're a lot better. I deserve the ones I've gotten. I'm not talking about me. Okay? But anger, if that is a trademark of your life, it shouldn't be as a follower of Jesus Christ who's been loved much and forgiven much. So the father says, but he, the son, the older son says, he answered his father, says, look, right? That's not a good way to start a sentence. Look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command, and you never gave me a goat or anything. Let me tell you something. In premarital classes, and you don't have to take a premarital class. You just have to be uh, in your first year of marriage. You learn real quick. You shouldn't say, I never or you never. Right? I never or you never are relationship killers. They're not true. They're not true. I have never disobeyed you. Oh, come on. That's not true. You never gave me anything. No, that's not true. But yet he just says that because he's, he's so mad and angry. He said, and he's jealous he says, but when this son of yours, notice he didn't say, when our brother, when my brother, it's this son of yours. When this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes. Notice that the father did not keep a list of wrongs, but the older brother sure did. It's another sign that you have older brother syndrome is you keep a list of wrongs. He's devoured your property with prostitutes, and you killed the fattened calf. You didn't even give me a simple goat for me and my friends, but you killed the fattened calf for him. You ever had kids compare themselves to each other? Anyway, just, he's jealous, he's mad, he's angry. What a, the story's not over, okay? But I want to take a little pause and just encourage and speak to us as parents in this room today before we finish the gospel message found in this story. 
And it's just what can we learn as parents from this story? And we've said, I, I want to be a good father, but God the Father is a good, good father to steal from Chris Tomlin, right? I'm a, and, and so we as Christian fathers should focus on the ways that God loves us and work to love our children the same. Let me repeat that. We as Christian fathers should focus on the ways that God has loved us and we should love our children the same. Let me tell you something. There's a lot you have to teach a kid. I was very thankful I didn't have a boy in my life. I wouldn't have to teach him to hunt and fish or change tires or, you know, do auto mechanic stuff, the stuff I didn't know how to do. I'd have to learn it to teach it. And so, uh, you know, I was kind of relieved when just four, four girls. But let me tell you something. All that is secondary. All the things that we're that in this world that we need to teach our kids First and foremost, if we love our kids the way God loves us, all the rest will take care of itself. Love from a father is so powerful. So powerful. And yet it's one of the hardest things that we give as men. When you go to, when you, when, when it's said that he could not say I love you, Oh, may that not be said of anybody in this room. I know he loved me, but he couldn't say it. Oh, please don't let that be a story of your life. Please don't let that be, man. Don't let that be a story that's told about you. And so I have six real quick things that we can see from this story to encourage us as as fathers and as parents today. Number one, always give your kids a road home. And you build that road home early on and through those teen years. You're laying bricks when they come to you, when they mess up, and how you react. You're laying that road and that foundation for them to return to you later when they mess up big time. Discipline them, but love them. And it builds a road home. And let me tell you something. This is a very powerful thing because there's nothing worse than a dad destroying the road home. When I was in eighth grade, it was Christmas Eve. We were coming back from my brother's house. All family in one car. My sister was in college. I have an older brother, a couple years older, and a younger sister. We're all riding together, and as you, when you ride together, some things, heated discussions happen, and there's a fight between my dad and my sister. And it ended in her college dorm parking lot near where we lived, and she got out. She slammed the door. He's yelling. She's yelling. And she said, you know what, Dad? Just want to let you know, I'm about to get married. And by the way, he's black. And I heard my dad quickly and instantaneously respond to say, you do that, don't come home. And don't ever bring those black babies with you. Road home, gone. I'm sitting in the back of the car, and I realized right then and there, there was something that even I, at some point in my life, I could do to lose my father's love. I just saw it witnessed. And you know what I did? I became a really good kid. Really good kid. One of the best ever. (laughs) If I would brag, I never got caught. People are like, you don't have a curfew? I've never been in trouble. 
never been caught. No, I didn't, that's really what it was. But it never, you know, uh, don't get caught. But I d- don't do, and I'm not going to drink that. That might be the point my dad doesn't love me. I didn't say that. I became a really good kid. I was a youth pastor my senior year in high school in a small, small church in Oklahoma. You know who does that? Kids who are trying not to lose their love of their father. And they're going to be the best kids ever. That road home, it's important. Always give your kids a road home. The father loved his children equally is what we see here, right? One a prodigal and one who never left his side. Don't focus on the behavior. Love them. Behavior is external. Love them. Love them. He loved them equally but treated them differently. We see the father let the prodigal go because he knew he needed to go. But he went and treated, pleaded with the older son to come into the party. He, he loved them equally, but he treated them differently. He tried to, and so the next thing we see is the father met the boys where they were. Much of parenting is meeting kids where they are, meeting in their times of crisis, their times of need, not just having the expectation that they be better than what they are, but to meet them in those moments and to walk with them to where they need to go. He met the younger one in his pain on the way home. He met the older one in his pride outside the party. The father never gave up hope on his prodigal son, right? Never gave up hope. How many times did he, our picture in our mind might be of him sitting on the, on the, on the porch in his rocking chair, right? Just waiting, looking down that road. How many times he must have been in the field and he just glanced down that road and he looked for a silhouette of his son, of his son coming down that road. He kept looking down that road because he had hope. He fattened the calf because he had hope for that day to come back for that party. He was prepared for that day because he had hope. I take a lot of pictures at sporting events, and the ones I hate the, the, the most is, is, is at uh, scrimmages where the, they don't have the right jerseys on. It's football scrimmages. You don't know who they are, and then you're, you're just there. Everybody's out there. You don't know who they are, and you go ask a parent, hey, where's Johnny? He's right there. I can tell by the way he's standing. I can tell by the way his arms are crossed. He's mad. <laughs> he's not playing enough. I can tell this. I can tell that. But just because of the way he's standing, just because of the way he walks. So that father looking down that road, he had hope. He was looking for that silhouette to come home. And one day that hope became sight. And so he never gave up hope. Never give up hope. One of the things we do as fathers, and especially is, is we make decisions. Don't, don't put the finality in a decision. Kids change. Kids make choices. And, and if you, sometimes you put a finality into that decision to make it final when it could have been one that changes uh, sooner. You know, you just look back at some pictures. You know, some things change. Some hairstyles change. Some th- we all regret, right? It's like, why did I think that? Well, they let you do it anyway. But some things are not final. But sometimes we as dads make a temporary decision more permanent because we destroy the road home. Okay, And then lastly, the father did not let his pride stop him from loving his children. That picture of him pulling up the robe, he was okay with being humiliated to be humble. And so I know we worship a father who's perfect. 
but we're not. And we need to say we're sorry. And your dad's a sinner, and he messed up. And I think now as I look back and even processing the stories of my life, even still today, two years ago, many of you know, I went to London with my sister, that sister, from that day in eighth grade. And we went to London together to be with my mom. My dad died over 20, uh, 20 years ago. And so she remarried a British citizen and lived in England for 18-plus years. And we went to be with her when her second husband passed away. And I was with my sister. And you know what is a marker of our life is we don't really talk about the bigger things. Hmm. I talk a little bit more. I've processed a lot more to get to a point like today and the points like I have in the past when I've shared this story. But that day, I sat with my sister and Heathrow on our way back, and I said, you got to tell me. I said, I know Dad never came back and apologized to us. He never said, I sinned against God, and I sinned against you, Griff. And I sinned against you, Carrie, and I sinned against you, Tim, and I sinned against you, Belinda, and you, Bill. I sinned against all of y'all and God. He never did that. I said, but he had to do it with you. I said, I just want to know about the story that our dad apologizing because I never saw it. And she said, well, dad came to England with Tim, came to, to Europe and they, to see us, and, and they showed up at our house, and was, it was a shocker, and dad came in, and, and he just asked Lee if we could go for a walk, the brother-in-law, son-in-law. And they went for a walk, and she said, I watched from the apartment, and I watched them talk and make a couple laps and talk, and then dad came in. And that's it. Somehow, I guess my dad thought he only sinned against Lee. And she said this statement. She said, I'd never got my walk around the block. And let me tell you something, dads. You got to take your kids on a walk around the block. And you got to tell them, you know what? Your dad's a sinner, and I, he's messed up. Please forgive him. Those are some things we need to see from this story as parents. But there's a bigger picture here in this story about the gospel, and I want you to see it here today. And it's back to the story, what we all need to see in this story in verse 31, the father responds and says, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. Which is true, because he divided it between them already. It was fitting, and ce- it was fitting to celebrate and be, be-, be glad. For this your brother was dead, and he is alive. He was lost, and he's found. The father gave the younger son what he did not deserve, Right? And both sons were confused. Both sons thought the father would respond based on their actions. Both focused on their performance. But the father focused on restoring the relationship and their standing as a son. We see in this story that God's focus is on our relationship. It's it's the key in the relationship with the father, with him. The father loves his disobedient son no matter what he has done. The father... Your creator loves you no matter what you have done. 
no matter how many far countries you've been in. He loves you. The father loves his obedient son, but not because he's obedient, but because he's his son. It is a picture of grace. The caption over my section in my Bible of this scripture says, lost son, lost coin, lost, lost sheep, lost son. And when we hear that today, we automatically think of the prodigal son, the one who went into the far country. But he has been found. That's what they said over and over again. Your brother's been found. He was once dead. He's alive. That's, he's not lost. And so when we think of this story, we think of him being the lost son. The prodigal son is the typical picture of sin, but there's two sons. Each of them wanted only the father's things and not the father himself. They each used the father to get what they wanted. One of them by being bad and one by being really good. They're both lost. But the story shows that the power of the prostitutes, the one who loved the prostitutes and was with the prostitutes, is saved. But for all that we know, the one who never did anything wrong still standing outside the party. Still standing outside the party. The lost son is the older brother. He's still lost. He still, he won't go in. And Jesus is telling both groups, the sinners and the tax collectors and the scribes and the Pharisees, that you can be lost in both of these groups and that God loves you both. But you can be in both and you can be lost. And that's what he's telling us today in this room. Matt Chandler says that the hearers of this story did not walk away with tears in their eyes like I am, like I have right now in sniffles. That's not their, they didn't get a warm, fuzzy feeling from this story. He says, this story is one of the reasons they killed Jesus. He made them mad because they're the older son. If you think that if I do religious things and I'm a moral person and it might equal special treatment by God, and you would say, I've been in church long enough not to say that out loud, and we don't say it out loud very often. There are times where we say that. We, 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 we preach that, the, that God loves us and, and, and it's, it, we serve him out of, because of a great love for us. But our heart tells different stories at different times. And as a pastor, you hear those stories. When someone gets a diagnosis that's terminal, and you hear people say, I can't believe God would allow that to happen to him. Because of all that he's done, he's a deacon. What? Wait, what? So you're saying that that equals... Being a deacon equals no cancer. So we don't say that outright, but we say it at times. We say, I can't believe God would allow that to happen to a person because how they've served them faithfully. Well, you know, you're probably an older brother looking at a father only for his things and not for the father himself who loves you greatly. This was the greatest day in that father's life. If he wrote down the top 80 things of his life, like I did at 45, the day this son walked that road home might be number one, right? It's the greatest day. He, he killed a fatted calf, but the older brother doesn't care. He had to see 
the tears in the father's eyes. He had to know that the fattened calf was for his brother, for something very special. He had to know. He had to see him waiting and longing, looking down that road. And he saw the father's heart, and he still didn't care. He still didn't care. There's two kinds of lostness. Those who escape God through immorality and irreligion, and those who escape God through morality and religion. And let me tell you something. I'm not standing in 6th Street in Austin today. I'm standing here. Some of us in this room might be older brothers right now. You might have lived your whole life as an older brother, thinking you needed to perform for God or thinking God was a genie for you in your performance, that he's lucky to have you serving him. Religious people obey God to get things. Those who have been changed by the gospel obey God because he's God. I try hard. I pray. I do. Ah, you owe me, God. No, 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 no. That's not a response. And I challenge you, look at this statement from Tim Keller. You heard that name today in summer sessions. And this, his powerful book that changed the way I see this story, it's called Prodigal God, and I recommend it greatly. He says this, what must we do then to be saved? To find God, we must repent of the things we have done wrong. And you say, oh, I've, I've done that. I probably have done that. I did that in VBS. But if that is all you do, you may remain just an old elder brother. To truly become Christians, we must also repent of the reasons we ever did anything right. And let me tell you something. That's something we constantly have to do. Because I've been there. I've been elder brother. I fall to that a whole lot more than I, I want to ever admit to myself or others. The chances are there's people in this room who have been elder brothers all life and haven't given their life truly to love God and to serve him because he has taken your sins from far as east to the west. And let me tell you something. Today's the day. Today's the day. There's a party happening. There's a party happening, and you're standing outside, and God is pleading you to come in the party. He loves you in your pride, in your arrogance, and in your thought that you're so much better than you think you are. And how you're so much better than the people who are at the lake right now. He loves you. He loves you. Let's bow our heads for a moment as Keegan comes back. How do you need to respond to God today? Some of you, it might be to actually come speak to me, to come pray with me, come reach out, take a step, right, down a road. Some of you... You need to, it's a self-introspection of who we are and who you are and maybe why there's so much anger in your heart. It's because you're just looking at God for what he can do to you, do for you. God loves you wherever you're at. He's pleading with you today. But please don't stand outside the party. 
look at yourself and the reasons why you do what you do. And it's very telling. And it's very important. Dear God, we thank you for this story today. Oh, but so much more than this story. God, we thank you for the gospel. Oh. We thank you for you running to us. And maybe today we thank you for you coming outside and pleading with us at the party. God, I pray for a person that doesn't walk out of this room more angry, but walks into a party because they realize that they need a true, true Savior in their life. They need to open up their whole heart to you, their whole life, their whole being. God, we don't deserve your love. May we never think we do. God, you're an awesome Father. Thank you for loving us. It's in your holy, most awesome name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Van Alstine. For more information about our church, visit www.fbcva.com.